And now, it's time for the WLCA Sports Show. Line them up for kickoff. Pump it in there, baby. Good morning and welcome into the WLCA Sports Show here on 89.9. We have a great show planned out for you today. We're going to be talking about the Cardinals a bit, breaking down some of their play in recent games. The Blues just traded Jake Allen off this week to Montreal. We're going to be talking about that along with breaking down the Stanley Cup and NBA playoffs. I am your host, Ethan Hannaford, joined today in studio by my good friend, Nathan Tucker. Nathan, how are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. I kind of wish I didn't forget my own headphones, but, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're thriving. We're it still going. Ha- it happens. It happens. Well, we're going to go ahead and get into it right off the bat. No pun intended there. It's with, the card- with some Cardinals talk, the Cardinals played. That pun <laughs> was a little bit intended. It actually... Okay. I think it was. We'll leave it there. All right. The Cardinals played six games this week uh, in the last seven. When was they the last had an th- off day. When was the last time we can say the Cardinals have not had an off day? Uh, what, before the season started? Or the fir- maybe like the f- the first COVID break? Yeah, I, I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's been that long. Six games in their last seven days. They went three and three. The record overall is 14 and 15. And we've kind of gotten to this uh, pattern of talking about, you know, their record for the week their record overall in the last several weeks and i think we're starting to see a pattern yeah uh right there's no consistent like they played amazing this week they went five and two six and one uh we're, we're seeing a lot of 500 ball and then it, it's adding up to a very 500 record N- nothing has necessarily it's been a very similar pattern from the cardinals um in the first month of the season we're already halfway done isn't that crazy yeah i mean before you know it, baseball's. I mean, luckily the Cardinals are a playoff team, and or you know, hopefully, yeah, a Knock playoff on team. Uh, so baseball will continue for us. But I mean, it's <laughs> think about all the time that we spent talking about if a season would happen, and them trying to get a season for, to happen, and now we're only like three weeks away from it being over. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Well, yeah, you hope that the extended playoff will make it a little longer. So. We'll have to wait and see. But the, right now, at this point, the Cardinals are second in the NL Central. They are four and a half out after losing last night to the Cubs. If you were not able to watch the Cardinals-Cubs squared off last night, two potential Cy Young contenders in Jack Flaherty and you Darvish. Didn't expect that to be a Cy Young contender this year, but he has been dominant this season. Seven and one, sub two ERA. And the only Cardinals were only able to get one hit off of him last night, that being of Matt Carpenter, who had a solo shot, which is not where I would have picked, um, or not the guy I would have picked to have the only hit for the Cardinals. I mean, that is the exact amount of production you expect out of Matt Carpenter right now, right? <laughs> Just a solo shot against the one guy that no one else could hit off of. 11 strikeouts, <laughs> a 1.44 ERA on the season. I tell you what, Darvish has really um, been the catalyst for that rotation right now. I'm a guy that the Cubs really need to step up this year. If you just look at the difference in the play from last year to this year, and that's one thing I think is the starting pitching has looked really solid this year overall, which has been a help for them because if you look at their averages, they look like what you'd you'd expect to see from the Cardinals. They got Schwarber's batting 228. Bryant's batting 182. Yeah, Bryant looks – Bryant and Matt Carpenter right now are really interesting kind of like comparable players because, you know, these are guys that are obviously – partially faces of their franchise to a certain extent even to the league uh, even to the league yeah i mean i uh, i listened to an ad an ad for sunday night baseball on uh 101 espn this week 
and they advertised it as a battle of uh, Cardinals RBI machine. Matt Carpenter goes against the Cubs. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting? Little does ESPN know. <laughs> But even on top of that, Anthony Rizzo's batting 229. Javi Baez batting 196. Hayward is batting 301. That's the only guy above, what, 260, 270 in this lineup. Caratini, 260. Maben, 245. Kipnis, 239. So it's clearly not the lineup right now. It's, the, it's, it's very similar to the Cardinals, but almost to a more extreme extent that the rotation's really carrying those Cubs. And this is, I promise, this is not a... Cubs talk show we just very interesting right now they're they've kind of been dominating in the central and I think that you know they kind of took advantage of that period where and it doesn't even look like at this point but the Cardinals really are the only team that are semi-competing for that top spot in the central right now and you know when you don't have a team that's when you have a team that doesn't play for two weeks and everyone else is just kind of there at the bottom it's like all right let's let's run with it and let's see how far we can go and now they have a, a nice little lead and It'll, it'll be interesting to see if the Cardinals are going to be able to catch up to them at some point in this season. Nathan, at what point the Cardinals, like I said, being back four and a half games at this point, what do they have to do in order to catch up or pass the Cubs in the Central? Uh, I mean, I think it might be almost considered too much already for the Cardinals to actually get to like to catch up to the Cubs because I think, you know, four and a half games is about – that's um, that's a week and a half of winning for the Cardinals at this point, and I think they would have to drastic they would have to drastically figure out the offense, because I mean the as you stated the stated the pitching's been there the pitching has been kind of keeping the Cardinals afloat and I think despite you know taking a loss last night I think Jack Flaherty looked pretty good against the Cubs still I mean he gave up a couple runs I think he's kind of not looked himself against the Cubs. Uh, as much as he has against other teams, I mean that can be expected to a degree. Cause the Cubs probably have you know just a, as much a book on them, and they've seen the Cardinals just as much as anyone this season. But yeah, you know, I mean I think the Car- the Cardinals need a really big turnaround on offense, and it can't come in two game spurts of scoring, you know, massive totals and putting up, you know, putting up big runs against pitchers who are you know don't want to be in a baseball game. And I think that may be one of the things that is that's very intriguing to me is the Cardinals right now have three guys. It was four yesterday, but Paul DeYoung's at 297 now. Three guys that are above 500 in the batting average, and then DeYoung's right at 300, Fowler at 280, Edmund at 262, Wong's right at 250. And I tell you what, you know, we talk about the lack of production from this lineup, and it has been. It's been very inconsistent. You'll, we'll see those nights where they score a, a boatload of runs and then they won't be able to score for a couple nights in a row. But when was the last time we could say the Cardinals had four guys batting at 300? I mean, probably since Albert was here. Probably yeah. since Albert Berkman, or maybe, you know, a holiday Craig yeah. and Berkman. Yeah, I say at least since like the holiday. 12 or 13, yeah. Beltron. Like, I'm, that, that in my, uh, I was looking at stats yesterday. I'm like, that that's pretty impressive that the Cardinals have guys that are still succeeding. Who would have thought Brad Miller would have been one of them? But yeah, I think I think uh, Brad Miller himself has kind of panned out. I wouldn't say has, as the Cardinals expected, but I think Brad Miller has been like I think the Cardinals kind of quietly knew that Brad Miller would be a guy who be basically an everyday level player for them, and he he's been kind of under the radar in baseball like his entire career I would say. Well he say. had a 30 home run season one year and that's something I didn't find out until they were talking about it on Fox Sports Midwest. Yeah, ex- I, exactly. So I mean. uh, and things like that you, um 
where would the Cardinal offense be without Brad Miller is a great question. But I think that moving towards, you know, what needs to be improved, we talked about some of the good things in the offense. You go down to the bottom half of these averages and you find Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill. You find the outfield. Dylan Carlson. Yes, there's, <laughs> there it is. You find the outfield. Bader batting 196 right now. O'Neill batting 171. Carlson batting 169. Thomas, which it's not very fair, he's only had 12 at-bats, 083. These are guys that, especially with Fowler being out now, which we'll talk more about in just a couple minutes, but these guys have to start performing at a higher level. There's no excuse for your entire outfield not having a guy that's batting over 200. You have, you expect your. I'm a, if if Bader can just bat at, at a two between a 230 or a 240, I'm okay with it. That's how if stellar his defense is. All of these guys can hit 200 to 230. The Cardinals are going to be a help. lot better team. <laughs> They're going to win a lot. It, the difference and that, and that's will just be like a couple hits a, a that, you know, the, uh, maybe one or two hits a night. Yes, that, that's a diff, That's a, such a huge difference in baseball. And they that's don't a even difference have, between runs being left on second base and to be batting a low two twenty. They don't even have to do too much better than they are now. Just expect a little bit more production than you're getting from them. Matt Carpenter included in that. But these are guys that you have to get more production from them right now because. Your outfield is tends to be a vital part of your and, offense. And you didn't, if you look and you like, didn't if, go get anyone. If you look at successful guys or successful teams in the MLB, the outfield tends to be have success. And so I, the Cardinals will not be a playoff team if their outfield stays the way it is right now with uh, performance-wise. Not saying like player-wise, performance-wise. And I'm not upset about the Cardinals not getting anyone because this is, you know, the circumstances of this season, I understand John Moselec's mindset and you want to see who your future is. You don't want to miss out or on a guy that could potentially turn into a, a freaking Luke Voigt because who knew that was going to happen and Luke Voigt was going to be the best, the AL best home runs. first baseman in the AL. Like Who would have thought that, right? So moving into that, we talked about the outfield, but we're going to talk specifically about Dexter Fowler. Now, if you're not aware, Dexter Fowler is out due to a heightened concern for um, the medication that he needs to combat a persisting stomach ailment that he, he has he's had it before. I would say it was like five or six seasons ago. He missed a lot of time when he was still with the Rockies, I think. And the concern is that with the medication that he needs, that it may compromise his immune system in the time of the coronavirus and all of that. John Mozella commented saying, given that we are in the COVID environment, we thought it would make sense to give him some time away. Ultimately, his health is what is our biggest concern. And that I make that makes sense. So absolutely, uh, it, I hate that it had to happen at the time that he was really it starting makes to sense, succeed. But it's really not, unfortunate. Yeah, it's really unfortunate for the team right now. So how do you work? The, we talked last week about how you work the Cardinals outfield at this point, but it's 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 a very, it's a little bit different now that your your guy at Fowler out in right field's gone. So what are you doing with the outfield at this point? Man, it's it's not uh, an easy answer really, but I don't think does anyone deserve everyday playing time right now? Not at all. No, there's not even Dylan Carlson. You're not keeping him out there. I think I mean Dylan Carlson makes the biggest argument to play him every day for the mere fact that you want to get him time and see what he can do. The other guys, but 
isn't that the same story with Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader still that we're trying to figure out what they can do? And, and that and that's the thing. I would give Lane Thomas a little bit of leaning room because he hasn't had that opportunity yeah. yet. We've seen Bader and O'Neill, despite you know the argument that we haven't seen them able to battle out of that. Well, O'Neill has been playing a good chunk of the season. Right now, O'Neill has 76 at bats. Top on the team is 103, but then after that, it's 92. So he's right there in at bats with the rest of the team. Yeah, so he's probably played the most out of this, you know, group. And Harrison Bader's been kind of on the outs a little bit recently. I feel like. Yeah, Bader's had forty six, Carlson seventy one, O'Neill seventy six. So yes, he has played the most. So it's almost getting to the point where it's like, okay, I'm I'm about done. I'm about done with Tyler O'Neill, and I, I've been very patient this season, unlike how I usually am because of just the situations with everything i was telling you earlier i don't know if i would have ever been like okay i'm not okay with it but i'm more relaxed at being under at 14 and 15 than i ever would be in you know any the other any other season yeah i mean i think one i i don't necessarily think like while the cardinals are still technically in a playoff position right now and i think the cardinals are still probably going to make it they're not playing to win and I think they're more playing to figure out what they have. And I I think what Mosellock said to, you know, media post dispatch has kind of been along those lines is where, you know, yeah, they wanna win obviously they wanna win baseball games, but they're trying to more see what they have in the outfield. And I think what we're going to see without Fowler specifically, just a kind of a rotating cast of characters that will probably change every now and then. You'll probably see Tommy Edmond. Like he, get, yeah, he was in their last line in right field. Yeah, I say he's going to get more time out the outfield. Because you have to have Matt Carpenter in the lineup, right? Yeah, yeah. That, was, mean, that was sarcastic for our listeners out hey, there. I mean, hey, he did uh, produce the only run against Hugh Darvish last night. So I guess we, can, oh, we wow. can't complain too much. So. My mindset is completely changed. The 181 average. The, yeah. the, we got to keep that bat in the lineup. The 29 strikeouts and 83 at-bats. <laughs> it's all out the window. So we got yeah. one home run off of you, Darvish. We and, did it. And I think I would have to agree at this point. And I was pretty, especially in center field and left field, because at this point, Fowler is top five in just about every important category average, home runs, RBIs, on base percentage, slugging, OPS. He's top, he was top five on the team in all of those. So at this point, it, it really does. It sucks losing him, but. Looking at what do you do at this point, I think I think you just have to kind of rotate and see who gets hot, if yeah, anyone yeah, can. It's a by committee yeah. type situation where you're just going to, you know, figure out who is looking good in batting practice that day and I mean I think something. I think everyone's struggling enough that you can make a excuse to have Dylan Carlson in there just about every day saying, Well, if everyone's gonna struggle, we may as well have our left fielder of the future in there every day. Yeah. So I mean but I mean, it's it's you're almost at a loss for words of what you can say about how bad the outfield is for the Cardinals right now, and you just wonder, what if they had? They some... look good defensively. Yes, excellent defensively. I think that's the only reason you really keep uh, Bader and O'Neill around at this point is. But I, I they're want... really good out in the outfield, and I wonder, you know, what what would the Cardinals be if they had some mediocre outfielders right now? They would be a much more competitive team. So I mean. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be discussing the Stanley Cup playoffs and an upcoming Game 7 tonight. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show here on College Radio's Best. 
We are back here on the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9 College Radio's Best. It's time to talk about some playoff hockey. There's been some pretty exciting games, very under the radar in the last several days. We're going to update you on the playoff bracket and what that's looking like. Is it under the like. radar or are we just trying to pretend that the playoffs aren't happening because the Blues aren't in it anymore? We're not going to talk about that. We're not <laughs> going to answer that question. <laughs> the So we're going to update you on the playoff bracket real quick. The Tampa Bay Lightning defeated the Boston Bruins in five games. I'll tell you what, it'll be interesting to see how Tampa Bay, because I would say they would be a heavy favorite. over. I, I'd say that them in Vegas, in my opinion, kind of stand out as the two best teams left. But it'll be interesting to see how a team that hasn't played in quite a few days will respond. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. But they defeated the Bruins in five games. The New York Islanders and Philadelphia Flyers are tied at three games apiece. They play a game seven tonight at 6.30. It'll be an exciting one. We're going to talk about that in just a couple minutes. The Vegas Golden Knights defeated the Vancouver Canucks last night 4-0. And I believe scored all what, all four goals in the last, what? Six minutes. Six minutes Say so the uh, Vancouver held them to no goals in the first 54 minutes, and also I believe Vancouver had what 13, 14 shots or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't very good. So I mean, the score was still accurate, uh, or of I guess the uh, how the game blo- was. It was played. a six-minute blowout. The game, <laughs> the score was accurate of how the game was played, being that it was dominated by Vegas. But uh, yeah, did not expect that game to turn out that violent in the end, and then. I think the most interesting one, the Dallas Stars defeat the Colorado Avalanche in seven games. And uh, a series that down to the wire for sure, but I think the craziest part was last night, 3-2 lead for Colorado and then double overtime. Yeah, and uh, was it uh, Kivaranta with a hat trick for Dallas? who We won the game with a hat trick goal like to get his third goal on the night I mean you don't really get as great a performance like I mean I think uh Kivarantos was the first uh game seven hat trick since Wayne Gretzky back in 1993 can you imagine hat trick game winner in game seven in double overtime to go to the playoff or to go advance I mean that that's what you live for right that's like that's why you play hockey that's like if if I wasn't from St. St. Louis I'd say that was better than Pat Maroon's moment (laughs) I would but it, no, no, it's not though, because we're from here. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> oh, because we're from here, it is not, and nothing ever will be better, except for winning the cup. That was cool too. But yeah, so I think that it's been very interesting to kind of watch those matchups, and the 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 competitive play has been absolutely great. I think that the NHL has probably done the. I'm trying to think of the word has done the bubble better or has done the return to play probably better than anyone in my opinion yeah i, I mean them and the nba i think are basically right there just for you know how smoothly things had gone i would say so at this point in the western conference final it'll be the vegas golden knights facing off against the dallas stars and then we're still waiting to see who tampa bay will be facing philadelphia or new york but looking into this Vegas versus Dallas matchup. What are you expecting to kind of see in this matchup? Who are who are you taking? We'll start with what are you expecting to see, and then we'll kind of move towards our picks at the end. Well, I, one, I kind of think that you'll see more of a return. I mean, not necessarily a return, but a regression from the Dallas Stars and 
Dallas is kind. Of, I, I say Dallas almost overperformed what they are normally capable of in that Colorado series. They, they faced, you know, I, I I was really high on Colorado coming into these playoffs. I kind of I thought Colorado was a cup contender, a cup favorite at least coming from the West. Agreed. And I I think against that against the Dallas Stars team, they really didn't play to their level. At least I, I don't think their defense and goaltending was really sloppy for me. I think they. There was really there's only a couple games where they could keep the can uh, keep the uh, not Colorado Dallas excuse me on uh, un, like under four goals or five goals a game and whenever you're doing that I mean even if you are a quick team the way Colorado is when you're you know forming your offense around a bunch of quick guys and you believe you can outscore anyone in the league giving up that many goals is not a, uh, you know a path to success in this sport especially in the playoffs where goals tend to be harder and fewer uh, for fewer and further between as far as you know frequency i think you know say say for a series like <laughs> a, Ve- a, Ve- a vegas colorado series would have been pretty entertaining and, and interesting but i think what you're going to look for in this series is Vegas's firepower going against if, or going against Dallas's ability to stop that firepower. What I've been very intrigued by in this series is, or not in this series, I'm sorry, what and what Dallas has been able to do so far is how pesky they've been towards teams. I had Calgary beating Dallas. Yeah, I think I had, I've had Dallas losing every series. I had this them far. getting upset, and for a while, I, I thought most of the series it was going to happen, and then they just kind of. They just kind of stayed around, and they ended up winning, I believe, in seven. And then same thing against Colorado. Did not expect – I expect them to lose in probably – I think I, I don't remember if I said five or six. I may have said six just to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I did not expect this going seven, seven let alone in their, in their favor. But they've been able to constantly stay around and been that, be that pesky team that is just able to kind of, you know, stick around. If you, have, if you stick around, you have a chance, and that is exactly what they've done. And now they have a – um, appearance in the Western Conference Final um, after coming up just short last year. And it'll be very interesting to see how they match up against this team. I think that, like you said, I would agree that they're probably kind of out of, I don't know if luck's the right word, but I'll say luck for lack of a better word, out of luck with uh, when it comes to Vegas. I think Vegas is clearly the better team. Um They've looked a lot more solid in these playoffs than Dallas has. Dallas has been rather inconsistent throughout these playoffs. And I think they're just the overall better team. They have way more depth on the offensive side. They're a fast-skating team. It's, It's tough to keep up with them. And the defense is a whole new... I think it's a whole other level of talent compared to Dallas's, which I think... Is another argument though is well Colorado had a lot of talent too especially on the offensive side and look what Dallas was able to do but I think that this Vegas team is just kind of at one of those I, I wouldn't argue that Dallas is necessarily a hot team right now I would I would say that I think Vegas is playing really good hockey right now and it's going to be really tough to beat them in a best of seven series yeah I mean I think I think this is a classic you know playoff dilemma of a team that has everything on paper going up up against a team that's you know managed to win kind of despite what the paper tells you and you know again again i i look at this almost the exact same way i looked at the series before with colorado and dallas where you know you have this team that has you know a lot of potential a lot of power i think 
you know, I think for Vegas, it kind of starts out from the back. I think whenever on Mark Andre Fleury is playing, you know, his game and playing a really good game, I mean, I this could be said for every hockey team, but whenever your goalie is strong and confident, that's when you're playing good hockey. And I mean, just ask the Blues, who you know, I feel like they struggle with goalie confidence in their first round, and that's one of the reasons they're not in there in the playoffs anymore. But when you have goalie confidence, it builds confidence from the back, and it built, and you have teams that <laughs> Vegas's defense. I don't know if it was Vegas's defense as much last night as much as Vancouver's lack of offense that created the you know massive difference in the way that game. It felt like Vancouver was skating up tilted ice, like they're skating uphill whenever they're trying to attack. But you know, again, again, I think. I think Dallas can surprise people here, but I think that's just based on the fact that they've surprised us all playoffs. Yeah. And it may, what at what point does it become not a surprise anymore that they can hang with these teams that everyone thinks that they're better or it are won't. better than them? Because if they defeat Vegas, then they'll have to face. I guess it probably depends who on who they face. If they have to face a Tampa team in the finals, then I'm saying I'm I'm still going with I'm not going with Dallas over Tampa. So I think it kind of depends on who they. Face. But I think one interesting thing that's also surprised me in the playoffs for, for the night, Golden Knights is they haven't been going with Marc-Andre Fleury. It's been Robin Leonard in there. And I think that it's been very interesting to kind of see a guy that you could say was almost the face. If they had a face of the franchise, considering they're so young, it would be Marc-Andre Fleury. And then with that trade, I, I'm trying to remember when that happened. I believe it was sometime later in the 2020 season that they traded for a Robin Leonard. And... In in the bubble, Leonard has started all but, I think, two or three games, which I think has been really surprising to me. But, I mean, they're having success right now, so it's like you can't take out the I apologize for goalie. mixing up these goalies, by the way. I meant to say Leonard. I it, just, you know, goal. It happens. They, they wear masks. It's, okay. it's hard to see them. <laughs> it's okay. You're forgiven. But I, it has been very As a former goalie myself, I feel bad for uh, mi- mixing up members of the goalies union. <laughs> the goalies union. My goodness. But it has been very interesting to see how they have handled that. And it'll be interesting to see going into next year how they tend to handle the situation um, with who's going to be in net. But, I mean, if they have a cup, then they have a cup, and that's all that matters. So it'll be very interesting to see how Vegas turns out um, against that pesky Dallas team. And then the other matchup, the Game 7 matchup tonight, 6:30, New York versus Philadelphia, the Islanders game seven what do you expect to see out of this matchup what has impressed you in this series from these two teams you know I kind of I kind of think that the Flyers uh, much like you know Dallas and the other conference have played almost above themselves and I think you know they, they have almost a limited run or they didn't expect that their run would be this far this productive especially against an I think an Islanders team that people thought were kind of pushed Philly out of the playoffs kind of easy well it was three games to one at one point and now we're looking at a game seven yeah I think that another interesting that thing that has intrigued me about this series is three overtime games in in six games so far I I expect there to be another one tonight I, I expect these teams to be giving it their absolute all knowing the season is on the line but three overtime games and all have been won by Philadelphia but man it just shows you how intense the gameplay has been games five and six game six went into double overtime 
I I don't want to I don't want to tell you the score and give you a wrong score, but double overtime and a Flyers win is really all that matters. But I tell you what, the competitive gameplay in that matchup has just been so interesting, and you wonder if the you know winning back-to-back games the you know the momentum right now is on Philadelphia's side, so you wonder what is New York going to have to do in order to kind of knock that off and I think the argument you can make is that like these games have been in overtime these it's not like they've been dominant when Philadelphia's won they have dominated and they it's not like they're playing bad in these games the last couple of games they're they're right in there obviously until the end so I don't I wouldn't I would still say the momentum is not necessarily on their side considering they've lost back-to-back games however I, I, I'm not afraid to still go ahead and say I think the Islanders are going to win tonight. Nah, I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say it's as much a lock as the way you'd kind of think that, like going into Game Seven last night between Vegas and Vancouver, that Vegas was going to win. Because I kind of think that while Vancouver put up a good fight for a little while, I kind of think that everyone kind of knew what was going to happen. Yeah, and, and I mean that that game last night kind of proved it pretty well that Vegas was the more superior team. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily see that like one superior team dynamic. I kind of think that, you know, the Islanders are going to be the favorite. The Islanders are going to be kind of expected to win. But whenever you've given up that lead, I feel like there's a mental block, or at least you know there's something in your head t- that's telling some of those guys that they can't finish it. And in the playoffs, you see these. You know, you pl- in playoffs you see how these kind of trends and these like you know runs of you know form and the way you're playing affect yourself more necessarily than like the skill itself that's on the ice or the floor or whatever playing surface is required uh whenever whenever you know i think these game sevens kind of tend to throw a lot of you know the skill out the window or the what's on paper out of the window i mean it, it, it's hard to look at a four or four and oh win from vegas last night and say that but you know, Phillies looked really good in whenever the game gets scrappier. And I think that, you know, that's a, a symbol of their kind of almost like classic, you know, style of hockey. I don't think the Islanders really have, you know, a true decision of who they think is their number one goalie right now, too. I think that's part of one of their issues and why they're not necessarily a true favorite. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tough battle. I, I, I'm right there with you. I think it'll be another overtime game, too. Looking forward to seeing how it ends up. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have this date and history and talk about Leonard Fournette being picked up by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Very interesting pickup. We're going to have it here on the WLCA Sports Show in just a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to travel through time. I bid you adieu. Alright, for this date in sports history, we will go back over a century for St. Louis football history, where in 1906, St. Louis University quarterback Bradbury Robinson threw the first legal forward pass in the history of American football for a touchdown to Jack Schneider at Carroll College, Waukesha, Wisconsin. St. Louis University won that game 22 to nothing. On 1918, due to world, or in 1918 rather, due to World War I, the 15th World Series began a month early. 
1960, uh, Cassius Clay, or more commonly known as Muhammad Ali, beats three-time European champion Zbigniew Petrovsky of Poland by unanimous decision to win the Olympic light heavyweight boxing gold medal at the Rome Games. And also in 1960, uh, IndyCar racing legend A.J. Foyt won the first of 67 IndyCar victories at the Decoin, Illinois State Fairgrounds. He is still currently the IndyCar record holder for wins. And that's the state in sports history. All right. Thank you for that, Nathan. Some pretty interesting stuff going on this week in sports history. Now we're going to move to talk a little bit about... I wish still at football. That'd be cool. Yeah, it would. <laughs> Maybe someday. Have you been soccer? Yeah, they're good at soccer. Yeah, we'll see. Earlier this week, the Jacksonville Jaguars released running back Leonard Fournette. And then only a couple days later, who would have thought the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sign Fournette to a one-year $3.5 million contract. Nathan, what do you think about this signing? I mean, I like it just because I like Leonard Fournette. I think Leonard Fournette is probably one of the last of the yeah, say I think Leonard Fournette's probably like one of the last of the like classic running backs where he's, you know, kind of a workhorse back where you can feed the ball up the middle and he can, you know, give you three, four yards at a time and occasionally break one for a bigger run. And you know his power is more his game. I think in the in the system there in, uh, in Tampa Bay, he's going to be kind of used as in a running back, almost by committee type role, where he'll take in some of those you know harder yards, and then you'll see probably maybe a guy like a a Keyshawn Vaughn who was uh, Illinois running back who transferred to Vanderbilt, and now he's going to probably be their second string guy down there. I think you know Vaughn offers a little more, bit more speed. He's a little bit you know obviously he's a bit a lot younger than Leonard Fournette, but it'll give them a kind of alternate you know pathways to go on offense because you know, as I just said, said Fournette's going to be kind of more your up the middle guy, your more kind of traditional running back. What I think what people kind of think of a running back if they last really watched football like 15 or 20 years ago, Fournette is kind of like one of those kind of style of guys. And, you know, they're going to – the way Tampa Bay is probably going to have to work them is with, you know, using those secondary running backs, using the, a Keyshawn Vaughn to kind of, you know, play off of, you know, Fournette is going to be your power guy. Vaughn's going to be more of your speed guy that if you want to run those, you know, tricky spreads where you have your running backs like you know, going out wide and catching passes where Vaughn's – that suits Vaughn's game more than Fournette. But, yeah, I mean, I like the move. I think – I kind of think Tom Brady and company are going to need a little bit more help in, in Tampa Bay, and I think this will give them you know, a good uh, hard yards guy. What surprises me so much about this move is the. it seemed like they already had a decent amount of depth at the position. Ronald Jones, they already said, was going to be named the starter. Keyshawn Vaughn, like you said, going to be playing the role that, uh, that, that similar role. LaShawn McCoy, Dare... Ogunbowale, that's how you say it. Ogunbowale, yeah. There you go. And now you add on Fournette to that group, and you have a very loaded group of running backs to where then there's a couple of other names in there, but you're probably going to have to drop one of these guys, I'd assume, at least. Yeah, I would say that uh, McCoy is probably not. Really? I think he's going to be probably, I wouldn't say, not on the chopping block per se, but in these first, couple weeks it's going to be a fight to see who's 
I mean, I still think that they're kind of going to shuffle guys in and out and figure out who's truly going to be their number one. But I kind of think that and that shuffle will be kind of that, that shuffle will prove that kind of, it'll be like a Fournette, Vaughn, or you know, kind of toward that like different. I, I think Leonard Fournette is the best guy here still, which, you know, maybe, you know, he's kind of tailing off a little bit in his career. I he think, had his best season last year. Yeah, exactly. He ran for over 1,100 yards. Yeah, so that- I think a lot of people want to say he's tailing off, right? Because he's, you know, just this, you know, his style is different and football is different than the way Leonard Fournette always plays. But, I mean, like you just said, I mean, I think, you know, he's as productive as he can be. I think he's going to have a quarterback that'll. You know, I think Tom Brady is going to be wanting to hand that ball off as much as he possibly can because I don't think Tom Brady is going to be wanting to sit back in the pocket on, you know, 70% of plays for a Tampa Bay team. I think he's going to be wanting to try to relax as much as possible, kind of slow that pace down a little bit for him. And I don't think they're going to – I don't think they're going to play best you know, as a high-speed team if Fournette kind of fits that mold to where you could, you know, give the ball off to him and kind of slow like a, everything Almost down. like a Stephen Jackson kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. If, if you're – uh, a, vin- a fan of a vintage Rams team where you could just give those those handoffs to Steven Jackson up the middle and he could pr- brush a few guys off and you know break a run every now and then. And like I said, he ran for over uh, 1,100 yards last year, was which was a career high for him. It's, I mean, that's partially because of uh, Jacksonville's quarterback situation too because you know, they are not necessarily 100% on yeah. the Minshew uh, saga, I believe. But even <laughs> even with that, you know, we we talked. They already have a solid running back in Ronald Jones. When which since signing Fournette a couple of days ago, Bruce Arians has already come out and said, "Our guy is still Ronald Jones. He's still our starting guy." It it almost seems like it might be too much at the position. Now, here's the thing. I mean, Tampa Bay's been all in obviously this off season. Why not bring in another big name for only a three and a half million? Like, why not? Right? Sell a few so, jerseys. Exactly. So, you know, I don't know if at this point looking at it, I would kind of expect, I don't know how much playing time I expect LaShawn McCoy to get. I expect him to be more of that veteran presence for a, a team that has a lot of young, especially at the position of running back, a lot of young players. I expect him to be more of that veteran presence on the club. The Bucks at some situation, and eventually you're gonna have to figure out who is their more successful successful guy where. Because I, I think, could even see them maybe pushing a guy out to like wide receiver or something. And that's exactly what I was gonna say. Is one thing that you notice is is Ronald Jones just looking at scouting his his hands aren't necessarily where the Bucks want them to be right now. So maybe that idea that Leonard Fournette may be more of a receiving running back than than running and then. Jones may be more of the running guy. Yeah, I, I say that, or I, 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 like again, I mentioned Keyshawn oh. Vaughn again, and I think Keyshawn Vaughn kind of fits that outside mold a little bit better. But are you gonna? You got a guy like Leonard Fournette. Are you gonna play Vaughn over Fournette? Well, I mean, I think you're gonna be in this committee situation where you, Fournette is gonna be, you know, a harder yards guy. You're gonna kind of give the you're gonna give a ball off to you know Jones whenever you can and. Yeah, it, re- it reminds me of, I don't know if you ever watched the Netflix show Last Chance You. Yeah. Where the, you know, they have, <laughs> they're loaded with so much talent and this is like, don't know who to play and guys are getting frustrated. So it'll be very interesting to see what the patience looks like 
for a guy like Leonard Fournette yeah. who has started his entire career. And in- I mean, it's weird to think about like how we're we're talking about Shady McCoy being an outside looking in running back in yeah. this fold, and that's you know. As someone who kind of grew up watching the NFL, watching, you know, LaShawn McCoy, you know, play, you know, especially in those days with the Eagles. Like, I think it's it, it's weird to see a player's career come to the point where they're probably best in a, like, almost like oversight role where they're on the team mostly to give guys advice and, you know, kind of – he's like a coach who isn't a coach, basically. Yeah. Does – the signing of Leonard Fournette changed Tampa Bay's odds, make them any more of a Super Bowl contender now? I mean, I don't think it's going to change much. I think it's going to change a little bit, just mostly, again, how you talk about the the depth that they have at running back and the way that they're going to be able to kind of attack a game. I think it, it fits the way Tom Brady is going to play more. I think it fits – his style, they can kind of run something kind of like what New England's been doing for a while, where New England's running a lot bigger sets than a lot of other teams. You're gonna, you're gonna use your tight ends. You're gonna use your running backs. You're gonna, you're going to have that your, that production isn't going to be coming from the outside as much as the inside, at least in a you know ideal Tom Brady offense. That way he doesn't have to sling the ball like all around the field. He can kind of keep the ball in the middle middle of the field and. Keep the passes simple. You know, Tom Brady's going to be 41 this year. It, you want to kind of simplify things and make sure that he's getting the ball out quick so he's not taking big sacks and taking big hits at his age. And you don't want to, you don't want a 41 year old guy getting, yeah. you know, bum rushed and sacked and hurt. And I think, you know, it's almost going to be, I think the term West Coast is almost disappearing from the NFL, but you're almost, you're going to see kind of that like, Maybe not like the Duncan, the Duncan run five yard, five yards, a cloud of dust, uh, West Coast offense specifically, but something that's going to be more along those lines of a kind of conservative based offense that yeah. can then spread out and take a shot downfield if it wants to. It'll be very interesting to see how this team kind of turns. I don't know how much it helps their uh, Super Bowl odds because I don't know. Yeah, how, I don't really know how they plan on using him at this point. So yeah. I mean, the, I mean, everyone's, we're, we're everyone's freaked out that, or not freaked out. We're but it's, it's six been a, days from the season starting, five days from a season starting. We have no idea about any of these teams, it's, really. <laughs> it's been a big deal that they signed Leonard Fournette, and they don't even plan on having him be their starter. So does it help them? Does it make them? Yes, it helps them. But does it make them more of a Super Bowl contender? Not necessarily in my eyes. I still think that they're a. I, I wouldn't say they're a top Super Bowl contender in the NFC, but I'd say. Top being, you know, top three or four. I'd say they're in the they're, they're a top seven. They're in, they're in that. Pl- I mean, they're in that conversation of they're teams. They're a playoff like, team. They can, they're a playoff team, and every if, if things go right, you know, as a playoff as can happen for every, you know, sometimes middling playoff teams can have, you know, everything just click right at the right moment. And who better than touchdown Tom to get everything to click at the right moment? Absolutely, <laughs> and. Who would have thought that we'd be saying football is back this week? Thursday night football coming up, the start of the NFL. Been watching some college football, which hasn't been great. But Central Arkansas, <laughs> South Alabama, there Southern Miss—that's what we like to see. But Houston, the Houston Texans are at Kansas City this week, Week One, getting started. Who do you have this week? I'm gonna go with the Chiefs. I think 
that's the biggest shock in the world, obviously. But <laughs> going with the defending Super Bowl champions to win their first game back. What a, what a surprise, right? I know, right? Uh, it's really hard to see how if the you know how they would lose that opening game. I mean, I think Houston's a fine, like a pretty fine team, but I think Houston's kind of more on the outside looking in as far as you know their quality level, especially compared to a Kansas City team. And you know, I expect. Even though I kind of think these teams are going to have a level of rust, and I think I mean that's going to be prevalent throughout football. <laughs> I, w- I would, yeah. I, there's going to be a level of rust, but at the same time, it's still Deshaun Watson, it's still Patrick Mahomes. Still think there's going to be some scoring. What, real quick, what you got? What do you have for score? And then we're going to go to break. Uh, I'll go high on the high end. I'll go 44 oh, hey-o. to 28, uh, Kansas City. I'll go 28-20, Kansas City. We'll pick the rest of the games for week one next week because we will have a show before them, before then. And really looking forward to the NFL and college being back. So I'd say college has a pretty decent slate coming out today like, as far as games go. Yeah, no, no, no top teams right this week. But, I mean, there's football's back, so it's exciting. Looking forward to that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the trade line, kind of summarizing what happened in the MLB you're listening to the WLCA Sports Show here on College Radio's Best. Welcome back to the WLCA Sports Show here on 89.9. Just a few days ago, I believe last Monday, the MLB finished up the trade deadline. And I got to say, it was a little bit more exciting than I thought it would be. Some, some teams really went all in. Specifically, the San Diego Padres. Shout out to all those new Padres out there. If you're listening, Mike Clevenger. Trevor Rosenthal. Trevor Rosenthal, yeah. That, that's an exciting one. I, I love that. It's great that he's having some success, some success now. I'm really happy for him because, you know, I mean, a I guy think... like that that's a workhorse, you want to see him succeed, especially being a Cardinal, a former Cardinal. So glad that he's having some success and i think i mean just from reading kind of the tea leaves around the league i think rosenthal is probably the most sought after reliever on during this trade deadline just for the like how he had been playing with kansas city you know that thus far yeah i would i'd have to agree with you and and like i said there was some was more trade action than i thought there would be which i which i really enjoyed because how can you not right but uh I'm curious as to what you think. What trades were you most surprised or impressed with in itself trade-wise? Not team-wise, just specific to like a single trade or something like that. Uh, I say so It's hard for me to pick which one. I kind of think that like, you know, I, I, I looked at a team kind of like Oakland picking up Tommy LaStella. I really, I, I like a move like that. I think t- Tommy LaStella kind of helps them with a, a reliable bat for a team that's kind of on the edge right there and kind of, you know, with that extra bat could, you know, potentially make a run and do something. And I knew you had a feeling Anaheim was going to get rid of someone on the infield because they have Fletcher, who's really their best batter or best hitter right now at, at as far as getting on base. Say that. How can that be possible with guys like Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout in the lineup? Well, Fletcher has the highest average on the team. But you also have Andrelton Simmons, so not surprised that they got rid of one of those infielders. Kind of cleared that out. Surprised that they didn't sell though, which is kind of an interesting thing. But one trade that really surprised me is former Cardinal Jose Martinez, who signed with or 
was traded or signed? Did he? He, tra- he was traded. He was Cubs. traded. Well, originally to for, to Tampa Bay. Oh yeah. By the Cardinals, but traded to the Cubs at the deadline. So back in the Central, so Cardinals were able to see an old friend last night. And uh, Cafe Cito is back in the Central. He is back. Unfortunately, he's with the not a team that we want to be cheering for. This but I mean, the John Jay method of going back yeah. to the lo- the you know the wrong the losing side. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think it is interesting to see a guy like that. It's not a, really a pickup that I expected. But then you, I mean, you look at the Cubs lineup right now. It's been the struggle. The offensive production's been really bad. But Jose Martinez is batting 208 this season. It's one of those situations, I think, where the Cubs have seen what he can do, especially against lefty hitting. Yeah, it's I mean, like, why not, if why not team, take a risk? Say, if any team has uh, seen what Jose Martinez can do at his potential, it's got to be an El Central team, right? Reminds me of the four-game sweep last year. <laughs> oh, sweet memories. Sweet memories. Good times, yes. Good times. 2019 was a good year for St. Louis sports. Yeah, even with all the concerns, it was it was a great year in St. Louis sports. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact that that Cardinals team made the NLCS is you know kind of amazing. It it really is, <laughs> it really is. I, I'm I'm glad that well you know who knows at this point because I was afraid that that was going to cover up the concerns that are the things they needed to fix, and it kind of has. But we'll see how they kind of turned out this year if they make any moves this upcoming season. But I would say that. A, t- a trade that, like I said, the, the Jose Martinez, I, d- I really didn't expect that to happen. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how he turns up. And, um, I, I, man, I I really don't want him to succeed because he's with the Cubs. If he would have went anywhere else, I'd be cheering for him. But I, I specifically don't want him to succeed over the next, you know, couple days or so. Yeah, especially, for sure. I, overall, though, now, you know, we looked at trades, but one, a trade specifically – any teams that clearly stand out to you in the league that uh, are, are are a clearly better team now? You know, I don't think there's a team that's necessarily clearly better. I think, I mean, I think the I mean the only obvious choice to me right now is San Diego. So yeah. I think San Diego addressed their their problems and the way that they needed to. But <laughs> let's just go ahead and put it out there. San Diego, job well done. We're clapping. Yeah. Great job. <laughs> Great job. We're off mic clapping a little bit. A little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I respect them for going out and actually making the moves and saying that, you know, this weird season, this shortened season, might be their best chance, you know, in any time period to win a World Series with, you know, I think they have a really good roster, and I think I, I think they have a really fun offensive team. I, I mean, obviously, you know, Fernando Tatis, you got Manny Machado, you got... Will Myers, Eric Will, Hosmer. Will Myers. You got Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham. Uh, you know. And then you add a guy like Mitch Moreland, who is, you know, not necessarily the hottest guy in the world right now, but a guy that brings what veteran presence to a club that is has some really young players on it, has some a little, still has some power left in, left that he can do something to you know off the bench guy that kind of like a Matt Adams kind of player. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you know you 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 talk about Moreland. I think they've they figured out and Rosenthal too. I even think. Rosenthal kind of adds, you know, to a pitching a pitching staff that is a little bit young, a little bit aimless. You know, Rosenthal kind of adds that, you know, a veteran voice, a cl- you know, a voice that the younger guys can kind of lean on and kind of, you know, seek advice out as much as 
as much advice as you'd want from Trevor Rosenthal. And we haven't even talked about Mike Clevenger. Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest trade of them all. You know, adding an ace like that to a rotation that wasn't really the strongest, it really it adds a lot of strength to a weak spot on the team, and that was the biggest trade at the deadline, I thought. And I don't... I feel like the Indians honestly could have probably gotten more for him. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at that deal. I mean, you kind you kind of think that it's almost a way for Cleveland to just kind of get rid of a contract in a way, or at least you know they don't want to they don't want to pay that down the road. Which is really interesting because Cleveland, I'd say, is one of the best teams in the AL right now. The way they're playing, so uh, an interesting. I think it shows you how teams are approaching the season. Yeah. The shortened season. I don't think every team. I mean, I talked about this when we were talking about the Cardinals. I don't necessarily think that every team is playing the season to win a World Series in 2020. And I think a lot of teams are playing the season to almost as a spring training for 2021, or you know, to see what they have. I mean, we 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 haven't really talked about like uh, scouting and training that we don't really talk about that like side of baseball all that often, but. There's no minor league baseball this year. There's no real way to see yeah. what you have mm-hmm. other than playing guys. And that's why I think there the, it wasn't as busy at the trade deadline this year. Another team, though, that really intrigued me was the Toronto Blue Jays. And the Blue Jays added two starters in Robbie Ray and Taiwan Walker, guys that have had success clearly in the past. Walker, I think, had a really solid year last year. And... Has looked pretty decent this season to start, but I that was a weak spot for them. And you look as far as looking at teams that would you say are changed their fate. I don't know if Toronto necessarily changed their fate, but they made themselves a playoff contender. Which I mean, heck, you make it to the playoffs this year. Who knows what will happen? So good job on Toronto's part, adding pieces that you needed to add. Um, back to San Diego, I think the biggest thing it. You kind of, you know, they got rid of a lot of prospects this year. So it's clear that they're all in right now. Let's get a World Series this year in the next couple of years because after that, who knows? Who knows how long San Diego will be around and be able to have success? So it'll be very interesting to see kind of how they turn out. I'd say, where would you kind of rank, just kind of continuing our talk with the Padres, where would you rank the Padres as far as in the NL? Where, where are they looking now? as far as stacking up as one of the best teams in the NL? I mean, I think they're right up there. I mean, you would know. you Would you put them as far as two? Yeah, I mean, I think... Over Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, I think like power, like as far as power-wise, you know, maybe you know, maybe the number aren't specifically there. I think the potential is there for them to, you know, be better than any anything if they're... If they're firing on all cylinders with this team that they've put together now, especially, you know offense pitching you know i think defense is kind of like a i think the padres are kind of like middle of the road defensively i would say they aren't weak on the left side of the infield that's for sure <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> as we as we uh cardinals fans who've kind of clamored for that certain guy uh might know <laughs> let's not talk about it um i would probably say they're right around the, i wouldn't say they're better than atlanta at this point i would say that they're right there with the Cubs, the three or four team. And then I think it honestly drops off after those top four teams in the NL. But I think another team that's kind of interesting to watch specific to the NL Central is 
the Cincinnati Reds. They didn't necessarily do too much, but they added Archie Bradley, a closer that has, you know, his numbers aren't necessarily the best this year, but I think that also has to do with a really struggling Arizona team behind him. So I, a really good pickup, I honestly think, from Archie Bradley. We talked about just a couple weeks ago, what do the Reds have to do to get back in this division? And the bullpen's been really struggling. The bullpen has... Just ask the Cardinals how four, bad the Reds' bullpen is. A 4.5 ERA, I believe, at this point. So, so it did not look good against a pretty bad Cardinals offense yeah. uh, this past week. Yeah. And so it'll be, <laughs> yeah, 16 runs. Brad Miller being the dad of the team, <laughs> specifically. But... uh a very solid pickup, I thought, for the Reds. I think it makes them... I, the Reds are a team, in my opinion, that you have to watch out for. If they get hot, watch out, because they already have all the pieces. Guys are hitting the ball hard. There's a little bit of... You look at the, the numbers, there's a little bit of bad luck as far as stat cast goes and things like that. And Yeah, they hit it hard at people. Yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see how that Reds team performs, if they can pick it up here towards the end of the season, if they can squeeze in um, to get a playoff spot. So it'll be very interesting to see. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have take it or leave it. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show here on 89.9. Take it. Leave it. Take it. Leave it. Take it. Leave it. Take it. It's take it or leave it on the WLCA Sports Show. All right, it's time for some take it or leave it here on 89.9. Let's go ahead and get started. First one, take it or leave it. Dexter Fowler is back by the start of the postseason. I kind of leave it just from the way that the team has made uh, his you know, stomach ailment out to be and how much time he's planning on missing. I, I, I Right now, I don't see Dexter Fowler rejoining the Cardinals for a postseason. I'm going to go ahead and also leave it, considering I think a— the way that John Mosellock talked about it, saying he's going to be out for a few weeks at this point. Well, a few weeks is going to be the end of the season, but from then on, it's a little bit, I don't know. I think a lot of it will depend also on how the bubble kind of works out and what they plan on doing for the playoffs. But right now, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and leave it also. Next one, take it or leave it. The Boston Celtics defeat the Toronto Raptors in five games or less. I'm going to go ahead and take this. Despite this being a very two to one right now i feel like boston has overall just dominated the game the play of the games so far so i'm gonna go ahead and take it say that boston wins the next two games and uh how about you nathan yeah i mean i'll leave it just for the competition's sake of the nba playoffs i kind of see i think boston wins the series but i think it'll be a six maybe seven game series still but they only they only lost that one game because of a you know amazing almost hail mary three pointer opportunity with point five se- like the, it was point the five rain- on the clock the rainbow uh, inbound pass over Taco Fall because they brought Taco Fall's only appearance in the entire playoffs so far. If you're Boston though, how do you let that happen? Yeah, I, I don't know how that guy is so. Uh, how is a uh, uh, OG and a. Uh, is OG? Yeah. I forget his last name. Anna, Anna something. Yeah, Anna Nobe, something like that. Apologies to him if he's listening. I doubt, but why but, do you doubt? Say I know, I know our reach is growing. Yeah, to be fair, he isn't all the way in Canada right now, so I don't know how the reception is up there for the WLCA Sports Show. It is available on Spotify though now. If yeah, you were yeah. not aware, yeah. So, so in, uh, with Spotify, you can listen to our sports show in the bubble, OG. 
Yeah, and also anytime for anyone that is interested out there, it'll be posted just after the show. So be on the lookout for that also. Next one, take it or leave it. Jake Allen starts at least 25 games next season for Montreal. I'm going to leave that just because I'm pretty sure that he is an accepted number two. And even if you want to split games away from Carey Price, I think at, at max it's going to be about 20. Okay, I could... I can see 20. I'm going to go ahead and actually take it, being that Price is getting old. We've seen that, you know, maybe this kind of trade is is Montreal saying, all right, Price is getting old. We may see his numbers dip a little bit. This may be a great chance for us to, you know, pick up a guy that's been looking solid in recent years as a backup and, you know, kind of not necessarily maneuver him into that starting position, almost take it away from Price and still have the ability to win games. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's mostly just a way to let Carey Price know that he doesn't have to play, you know, 70 games yes. next season. Yes, agreed. I would have to agree with that. Next one, take it or leave it. Jake, or I'm sorry, Paul Goldschmidt finishes in the top, top, top five in MVP voting this season. I'm going to go ahead and leave it. I don't even I say <laughs> unless he's doing something really outstanding in the next couple weeks. I I don't know. He, he, I don't even say he's an MVP of this baseball team, let alone Paul Goldschmidt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Brad Miller is yeah, but I mean, far and away better than him right now. I mean, if you look at like from power production, but uh, Paul Goldschmidt's the most important player on this team right now, considering you know what he's done at the at the plate on base. Everything is, I, I'm. Surprised that he wasn't on the the team of the month for the NL. So I, th- with I, his I think it's just first because people are kind of expecting him to hit the ball a little harder, a little further, and with, yeah. whenever he's, I mean, he put. I think people gave him kind of stick for not, you know, hitting the ball, you know, hitting as many home runs last year. He still hit 33. 30, uh, 36 or something. Like it was thirty three. Yeah, thirty. I mean, that's still not too far off of his like career high. So I think it's not too far off. I think, but. It has slid a little bit his home run production, and this year, I mean, right now, right now specifically, I don't think the home the home run production I think is what people were kind of expecting out of Paul Goldschmidt. And on a national level, I don't think if he if he's not hitting them out of the park, he doesn't get that recognition. I mean, that kind of goes for a lot of if you're a first baseman who can hit the baseball, but you're not hitting it out of the park, it's not really, you know, it's not really news, you know. Such Matt Adams a few years ago when he was with the Cardinals. Um, next one, um, take it or leave it. The Big Ten ends up actually having a football season. I'm going to go ahead and take this one. They're actually supposed to make a decision here in the next couple days, I believe, on that. But I, I still think we talked about it a little bit earlier. I think that the both the Big Ten and Pac-12 just called it too early. Everyone else pretty much is playing. A good majority of the NCAA is still playing. So I'm going to go ahead and take it, say that they find a way to get some of those teams, Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin back in, you know, to have some competition for a potential playoff. So how about you? Uh, right now I'm gonna leave it just because I think the it's kind of it's kind of uh, met a level of bureaucracy to this point. And I also think that it's just it's harder to start back up when you've already kind of told assume. I mean, I assume the players and teams have kept on practicing, kept on preparing as if a football season was going to happen, regardless. But I think uh, from just you know a league standpoint, as far as an, like an organizational standpoint, it's hard to get everything organized in a short period of time. Unless I could see them maybe starting a season in like October or November, 
or something like that. But I think, you know, these other these other uh, colleges, these other conferences that are you know expecting to start play next this week, next week, you know, they were planning on doing that that whole time. And I think the Big Ten, you know, they they called their plans off. And I think to get everything back on schedule will be kind of a hard ask to do in September. And the final one, take it or leave it, Yadier Molina finishes the season batting 300. I'm going to go ahead and take this one only because it's a 60-game season. We're already halfway through. Otherwise, I don't expect it happening, him batting. I know he's done it before, but I just don't see him being able to bat at 300 consistently for a 162-game season at this point in his career. But for the season only having, what, a, a month left, I'll go ahead and take it. Yeah, I mean – the thing with the thing that works for this major league baseball season is that if Molina hits, you know, gets hot for a week or two and his his average kind of skyrockets over that brief period of time and then he kind of regresses to the mean after that. Uh yeah, his average will stay above 500. I'll take, you know, if it, if if not just for optimism's sake, I'll take it just because I would like more Cardinals to hit above 300. <laughs> There you go. Well, that's our take it or leave it for the week. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the NBA and updating you on the playoff bracket and talking a little bit about some surprises that have happened so far. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show here on College Radio's Best. Welcome back to the WLCA Sports Show here on 89.9 College Radio's Best. It's time to update you guys all on the playoff bracket the second round has officially begun for every single team in the nba starting off with the most surprising outcome i think so far the miami heat are leading the one seed milwaukee bucks the best team in the league all season three games to none we're going to be talking about that more in just a moment in other news the boston celtics are leading the toronto raptors two games to one after a as we talked about just a few moments ago a Buzzer beater shot by OG, we'll just say Anna, Anna something, but... I can look it up. OG Ananobe. There it is. Ananobi. Yeah. Ananobi. Ananobi. Either I was, way... I remembered it. I just didn't... Shout out him and Lowry, because they're the only reason that it's two games to one right now. In other news, the Houston Rockets finished with a 112-97 win last night over the LeBron and AD-loaded Los Angeles Lakers to get started or get kind of kick-started to a good start in that series. And then also the Los Angeles Clippers are leading the Denver Nuggets one game to none after a 120-97 commanding win a couple nights ago in game one. My first question is surprises in round two so far, but I think we can just go ahead and agree that we're both going to say the Miami Heat being up three games to none. So let's just go ahead and talk about it. What has Miami done right in this series to be up three games to none on the best team in the league? I mean, aside from just simply stopping Giannis, which I think they've done to a pretty good degree, because when Giannis is not leading the Bucks in scoring, which he hasn't done this series as much, especially in game game three, I believe. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't remember who their leading scorer was, but Giannis wasn't over 20 in I think game he had, three. I think he had 21. Oh, yeah, 21. But he had seven points in the first half, yeah. and half of his points came in in that time where they kind of dominated there in the third quarter. They got up to, I think, a 14-point lead at one point. Maybe it was late in fourth. Yeah, the, uh, it was late or late in the third, like right before the end of the third quarter. 
They had a 14-point lead, and that was their biggest lead of the series to date. And then what happened? <laughs> um, what happened was Miami outscored them 40-13 to 13 yeah. in the fourth quarter. And Jimmy Butler had 17 points in the fourth quarter alone. 31 overall. And I tell you what, he had 40 in the first game. He only had 13 in the second. And then 31 last night. He had 13 in the second, but I believe the Heat had seven or eight guys that had 10 points in that game. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing right now is the Heat have so many contributing guys. And I tell you what, if this team keeps playing like they are, they're going to be very dangerous continuing on down the road. Like, at this point, they're the hottest team in the league. It'll be very interesting to see how that kind of how they fare out. I don't want to get too far ahead. But I mean, how many people were picking them to lead this series at all, let alone be three games ahead? I had them winning this series, but I did not, I, I did not expect them to be up 3-0. But, I mean, holy cow, it's been very entertaining to watch them play they've dominated every aspect of this game like you said they've been able to slow down Giannis Antetokounmpo he's averaging I'm not sure what the exact numbers are but he's probably averaging high teens or right around 20 a game he has not been able he has not been his normal self the Heat have done uh, a, Chris Middleton the Heat have done a great job of being able to stop him Bam Adebayo and Jay Crowder Jay Crowder looked phenomenal last night in that game, and I tell you what, yeah, the just, heat the heat are doing it with guys that you kind of don't ex- always expect to yeah. either, because I mean, I, you expect then, Jimmy Butler, you expect, you know, the three the the new Splash Brothers as it were. Robinson in Game Two was phenomenal. It was it, probably you, the reason they won. You kind of expect those guys, but then you know you have Kelly Olynyk played a great game too, probably uh, you know probably one of the best games of basketball he's played in years. I would say. I think you know you have Jay Crowder, and Jay Crowder is. Jay Crowder gets overlooked a lot, but he is one of the best defensive players in this game. And I think the Heat, the Heat have managed to put together a team that is so tough defensively. And you know, I don't think there's another team in the league that's like that. That you know can just stuff an opponent. You know, maybe there's a different matchup for the Heat that can kind of you know kind of solve that, kind of crack that code. You know, maybe a Clippers team in in a final. You know, potentially I would say is. That would be a really tough matchup for them, but and you know I don't want to say that the Heat have that that the series is in the bag because you don't you don't want to count out ever Giannis Antetokounmpo the or the Bucks out of it in the fourth quarter last night. Like, it was an entire new team. They dominate. I wouldn't say dominated, but they controlled the the play of the game pretty much the entire first three quarters, and it's like they disappeared in the fourth quarter. And and you could you could feel that. You could almost feel that the team felt like it was over. Yeah. Like I don't like. I mean, if you go back to the Blues losing out of the the Stanley Cup playoffs so many weeks ago, and you can kind of get that sense after so many goals go in, like okay, the team's checked out, game is over. We're just kind of playing until the the minute. At with five with two or three minutes to go in the fourth quarter of that game against the Heat, I thought the Bucks were checked out. I thought the Bucks were, you know what? They didn't score in like the last. Three minutes, two yeah. and a half minutes. I th- they're they're like you know we're already down twelve. We've blown a, uh, we've blown this big the biggest lead we've had all series, and they gave up. The and Heat were down by twelve at one point in the fourth quarter, and they ended up winning by fifteen. Yeah, uh, th- I mean I I think at least in these playoffs, but I can't re- I can't remember 
you know, in recent memory, a switch, like a flip like that in a playoff, NBA playoff game to where a team went from largely dominating the game. I think, you know, if you look on, say, like, you know, ESPN's kind of like their like, betting odds stuff, I think the the win percentage and the odds for Milwaukee to win toward the end of the third, fourth, third, the start of the fourth quarter were probably like 99-something percent for the Bucks to win. And the game just completely flipped. And the Heat, it, by the end of the game, you thought you would have thought the Heat dominated the entire thing just because of the body language Milwaukee Bucks players had. And it just, they, they were out of it. And I honestly don't see how they come back in this series. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with you. It's been very entertaining to watch that series kind of play out. Did not ex- I think we both said going to seven either way. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we. I think you said the Heat, and I said the Bucks, just because. How do you feel now? I'm wearing fake, a Miami you fake Heat, heat fan. I am, I'm wearing a Miami Heat hat right now. You fake Heat fan. <laughs> Disappointed. I'm. I'm realistic, and even they're they kind of they've exceeded my realistic expectations. I would say. Yeah. I would have to. Agree I would with say you. they've ex- uh, over, they've exceeded everyone. Catch me outside. How about that? How about that? How about that? <laughs> how about them Heat? It's been very entertaining to watch them. How about them Heat? How about them Heat? Another series that I think has been very intriguing, especially after last night, we talked about the Toronto Boston series. What does Toronto have to, in Game Three? What I noticed that they did really well was they Kyle Lowry had a phenomenal game. He, I think he. In the first quarter, he sat out for a minute and a half, and besides that, he played the entire game. He had 31 points. He looked really solid. Is that is that the only way Toronto wins this series? Is if those you know top couple guys, Lowry, Van Fleet, and Pascal Siakam, the only way I see them winning this series is if those three guys are on point the entire time. Because this is a team we clearly saw in Game One. If they get behind, they're in trouble. If they have to, if they find themselves catching back, having you know, trying to catch up, and you know, catch back up to Boston, it's not. There's, it's not going to go well. We've seen that when they are staying in games, if they're in games late and giving themselves a chance, that's kind of how they're going to have to play this series. We saw in game two, it went down to the last shot. I believe it was Van Fleet that missed, but they had a chance down to the last moment. Same thing in Game 3. Luckily, they were able to capitalize. That's the only way I see them winning this series. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I you, you almost wish it wasn't as simple as, you know, ec- these three guys need to contribute. But I specifically look at a, a Pascal Siakam and, you know, needing to have that those, like, guys that surround Kyle Lowry stepping up and performing to their level. Because when Siakam plays to his game, he is – you know, one of the more dynamic players in the league, and I think he offers a you know, kind of a unique method. You know, a unique offensive method, and it kind of switches up the game for Toronto, because this Toronto's really good when Kyle Kyle Lowry is on. Kyle Lowry gets over thirty points, all that, but they're best when it's a group. It's a group kind of coming together, and maybe Kyle Lowry is more facilitating a Van Fleet or a Siakam. Because I think that's what suits the Toronto style a little bit more. And yeah. whenever it's all on Lowry, that kind of set that that's more or less stating that the other guys aren't picking it up. You're not gonna outstar power the Boston Celtics at this point. No. So that's kind of I agree. It has to be a group performance of those guys really performing together, having success together. And I think that 
it kind of that kind of play transfers well when you look at the Clippers and the Nuggets. Except I think it's a, a lot more uneven, being the Clippers are, the, I think, the much better team there, even though it is the two versus the three. I don't know if I can see a Denver Nuggets team doing anything against I, this. I don't see them winning. Five, game. five games? I don't see them. I, I think it's a sweep at this point, especially after watching that first game. I think it's a sweep. I think I think it's really unfortunate that the Lakers have to play the Rockets, who I think is a much better team than Denver. And the Clippers get a team like Denver. <laughs> that's And it's not that Denver's a bad team. I just don't think they match up well at all against this Clippers team. I think they were lucky to get out of the first round against Utah. Utah really let that slip. Yeah, so uh, I think I think Utah probably went into that opening round series thinking that it was in it was their series to win. I would agree. And it it, it slipped through their fingers and you know, you kind you kind of look around. I think you know, you look at a, their ability to stop Nikola Jokic is probably part of that, I think. Yeah. Jokic yeah I I love Nikola Jokic because he's one of the f- uh, last true big men of the sport, and I think he he offers a really dynamic game, especially because he's a bi- he's a guy who's so big and so dominant down low, but he can also you know flow it out to the three point line and hit hit one or two if you need him to. Uh, but Nikola Jokic cannot stop a Clippers team. <laughs> I think he's gonna need it's gonna be, need to be a, you know a grander. I think the Clippers would more or less have to lose this rather than Denver has to win this because I don't, I don't think Denver even at full capacity could win this specifically. I think this would have to be a matter of or of the Clippers not playing to their level and it really, maybe underestimating a Denver it, team. It really is a shame how this kind of all played out because I would much rather seen a Mavericks team play the Clippers later in because I think Dallas is a better team than Denver. And so it's it's kind of unfortunate that it turned out the way it did. Yeah, I mean, with you, you talk, I mean, especially with you know Kristaps Porzingis getting hurt yeah. and Luka Doncic has been hurt and he's been he played amazing. He played both, amazing, but he was not healthy. If they're both healthy the entire series, Dallas wins that. Yeah, I think they showed that in the first four games that they were. Cl- I thought that they clearly showed that they were the better team, and then you saw the injuries kind of catching up to them. So unfortunate for Dallas, they're going to be back. They're going to be a team to be reckoned with as long as they have Doncic on that team, and they'll they'll provide him with the guys he needs. I don't think people realize the level of like how good Kristaps Porzingis still is. I think people yeah. always forget about Kristaps Porzingis, but he's still a pretty young when, player. And when Porzingis still, was out, that was a completely new team. Yeah, I, I think Porzingis really sets a sets a tone for that Dallas team now. And then you know, quickly talking about the last matchup that we haven't been able to talk about yet. The Houston Rockets and the LA Lakers last night, game one, late finish, but the Rockets really dominated the game. They won by 15. Does that surprise you that the Rockets were able to kind of take over that game and really just control it from the shooting aspect? I was surprised at the level of how dominant they were the whole time because I never really felt like the Lakers didn't, Lakers never really felt like that close or that in the game, really, to me. I mean, ever since I would say like halftime, a couple of minutes before half, is when Houston kind of made the move and kind of pulled ahead. Uh, after that moment, the Lakers didn't—they didn't seem like the team that a lot of people are picking to win this NBA title. They didn't seem like a team that is even best in the West or anything or in, in that conversation. And but this has been their mo, or at least has been kind of the proven path that they've gone. And we remember Game One of the last round where they just kind of decided not to show up. 
Yeah. So maybe you know maybe that's another case of just not showing up for game one. But you know it's an interesting. I think James Harden after a really rough offensive performance in the game seven against Oklahoma City, I think Harden really stepped up offensively, and I think you know. Houston obviously needs that. Houston obviously relies for like twenty five points, thirty points from James Harden, and whenever they got they got that and they got the defensive production they needed. And yeah, I think that in gen in general, I think Houston's probably a way tougher matchup for L A or for the Lakers than we probably even thought. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. And the, I think the interesting thing is, while Houston did play well last night, and I think. They performed really well defensively, which is something I don't think anyone expected necessarily is their defense to be looking so solid throughout these playoffs. But offensively, they shot 36% from behind the arc on 39 attempts, which, I mean, that's how they score is a three. They, I think the last year's season, they broke the record for the most threes in a single season. It's the small shot. ball lineup. Yeah, and but they didn't shoot very well last night, but neither the Lakers shot even worse, which I think is – Almost thing, this thing of, yes, the Rockets won, but the Lakers really just didn't perform well overall. And I think that may have been a little bit due to the fact that they hadn't played in five games, maybe a little rusty compared to a Houston team that just came off of an electric Game 7 win against a, a solid Thunder team, a Thunder team that I think people did not expect to do that well. So hats off to Chris Paul for how well he performed this season with them. But it'll be interesting to see how – the Lakers respond. I could see the Lakers just going out and dominating this series, coming out saying, we're not going to lose again. Or I could also see this going seven games. Uh, I could really a, see this going either either, either or. So here's a little bit of a, some stats I was just looking up. Uh, LeBron, uh, last in that last, last night's game against Houston, was negative 15, like plus minus, when yeah. he was on the court. And that's, that's your ball game. Yep. You lost by 15 points. Yep. And... I mean, he, he got 20 points, but, you know, he's 7 for 15. You, the team was not the same with LeBron on the court that you're expecting them to be. And un until, you know, that starts to creep more toward the positive side and that plus minus, you're, you're kind of wondering, you know, what is truly the best form for these Lakers and the, what's, how are they going to win, really? It'll be very interesting to see how it turns out. The numbers necessarily for the ratings haven't been very good for the NBA, but I've been just about more entertained with the NBA this and these playoffs than I've ever been. I think the competition overall from the entire playoff and it has been really solid from first round on. There's just so, a lot of sports on. It's really hard it's, to... It's so great, isn't it? <laughs> Having actual sports to talk about. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about more sports. We're going to talk about the Blues. Hey, trading, I think that's all we talk about. Trading Jake Allen uh, to the Canadians, what we expect to see. Um, with the and update you a little bit on the Alex Petrangelo signing, what that's looking like. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show here on College Radio's Best. Welcome back to the WLCA Sports Show here on 89.9. We're going to talk about the Blues for a few minutes here. If you didn't know, the Blues eliminated in the first round. That's old news now. But really the... The news now. We're focused on 20, the 2020-2021 season. And the future beyond, honestly. The Blues traded Jake Allen just a couple of days ago for a third and seventh round pick to the Montreal Canadiens. This frees up 
$4.65 million in cap space for the Blues. What do you think about the trade? Do you like it? You know, I like it. I think I think this is a trade that probably happens regardless on uh, bubble season or regular season or any of that. Because I assumed that Jake Allen is probably going, like, with the uh, uh, arrival of uh, Billy Husso, I, I, I kind of assumed that this was Jake's last season in St. Louis. I mean, barring him looking way better than... Yeah, barring him looking way better than Bennington over the past season, which, I mean, he looked good, better than Bennington in the playoffs, but not quite over the st- stretch of a season to win a job. And Bennington will, you know, stay as the number one. Huso stays as our number two. And I, uh, on the Canadian side, I really like Allen being a backup to Carey Price. I think it gives Carey Price a more reliable backup uh, option. I think it takes a, a lot of the weight off of his shoulders with that team. I mean, I like the move. I think, you know, because you're probably going to lose Jake Allen regardless, so yeah. you at least get some guys you can kind of, you know, think about and build for the future in those draft picks. I like the idea of getting rid of Jake Allen. Not necessarily that I don't like the guy. I love the way he performed. Got us a couple of wins in the it playoffs. Was time. But, yes, it was time. This is Bennington's team now, you hope. <laughs> yeah, knock on wood. Uh, so the only thing I'd say is I think they could have maybe gotten a little bit more for him than a third and seventh rounder. You know, maybe a couple better uh, or a better pick, maybe a, a third and a fifth or a second and a seventh. I don't know. I think other teams know that, you know, Huso's coming up and there's not a spot for Allen. So here's what you're here's what we'll give you or you can take nothing and be stuck with a goaltending dilemma. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and, you know, knowing the Blues will want to re-sign Petrangelo makes it all more interesting too. the the Blues right now, I'm expecting we'll need to get rid of about $6 million more in cap space. So, you know, things like replacing a Tyler Bozak with a Kim Clawston, you know, a deal like that makes sense. Because I'm assuming the Blues will need about $10 million to re-sign both Petrangelo and Dunn. Do you agree? About $10 million. Yeah, that- I'd say probably eight, eight and a half for Petrangelo, about Two million for done? Yeah, I say maybe two five. So you know you might push it to like eleven million, but so yeah, sa- same same difference. Yeah. yeah, it's it's close. So the, it will be interesting to see how, kind of how the Blues handle that as far as cap goes. Assuming the Blues do bring up Villy Huso as their backup, do you have any worries about Huso and Net? You know, a guy that's never been in a game before. What? What are you thinking about that? I mean, he's really your only option at backup now. So, you know, are you a little... Yeah, he cons- has to be the guy. So are you concerned at all or any worries going in about him? I mean, I think he's been considered... I would say in development, he was considered better than Bennington for a wide, you know, large stretch of his development. I think Huso was almost seen, at least when Bennington especially was still a member of the Chicago Wolves, Huso was seen as a guy who was going to kind of usurp Bennington as the next man up and the next, you know, future of the Blues and goal. But Bennington has proven that he actually can be, you know, that guy and is obviously proven that he deserves the number one spot. Uh, I'm more excited to see Huso. I think Huso, you know, if if the you know potential plans out, Huso is going to actually challenge Bennington over time to be that number one guy but I mean 
I think this goes for everyone in the NHL. Those first couple games, those first, you know, getting up to that NHL speed is so, so challenging. I mean, until until his magnificent run in 2019, Jordan Bennington wasn't that good in yeah. the NHL, and w- until he got that sh- until he got that shot last season, and or the season I guess now the season before last technically, but you know until he got that shot, he didn't really look that great in the NHL, and I think. You know, if Huso doesn't really have that pressure on his shoulders, he's going to be a backup guy. You know, I think he might get twenty games max next. You know, in the coming season, because I still think that Bennington is going to be for sure the number one guy. And it's going to be more about like Huso kind of learning from experience and learning on the job and just being with the guys and being in the team. So yeah, I mean. I'm not necessarily, you know, worried about Huso at all. I mean, I I think I'm I'm as worried about Huso as I am with every, you know, new goalie coming up. The only reason that I would have concern is because he's your only option at backup. You have to still be able to win games when you have a backup guy, and that was the great thing about Allen is I felt just as confident when Jake Allen was in last season as I did when Jordan Bennington was in knowing we could still get a win. And I didn't feel like that in 2019, which it's unfortunate, but I mean, thank God Jordan Bennington was an absolute beast that season, but it it kind of makes you wonder how, how is it going to turn out, but it's almost, you have no other choice at this point where it's what you, it's just kind of what you got to do. Yeah. You're throwing it, you're thrown into the fire right now, basically. And that's, I think that's the way that the goalie learns. But I, yes, I would agree with that. And I, but I think it's something, a risk you just have to take at this point in order to re-sign Petrangelo, because I think without Petrangelo, Everything changes. This team is not at the same level, clearly. So it's a it's it's a risk you almost have to take because of just the circumstances of where the blues are at right now, who they're looking to re-sign, how much money they're they are having to, you know, kind of save up in cap right now in order to re-sign Alex Petrangelo. There's no not there has not been any specifically new news with Petrangelo. They're still working out deals still. I, I know that Rutherford. Sounds... Whenever uh, the trade for Allen happened, Rutherford tweet uh, Jeremy Rutherford, Blues beat writer for the Athletic. Now, uh, he tweeted out that Petrangelo and the Blues are quote far apart in negotiations. I don't know what that means. How far is as necessarily, but yeah, but that I think that's right now kind of showing that it's not. There still needs to be some work done as far yeah. as clearing out money. space yeah. and money and i think you know it might be you know maybe petrangelo asked for a little bit more money than even you know some people are thinking but you know we don't we're figuring it out as we go still well we're going to take a quick break when we come back mike lemons is going to be on air for trivia the man that has been really dominating in trivia virtually these last couple of months so <laughs> now's your chance for it you know, we'll see if he's, he's got well, a better memory than i do well <laughs> oh ouch that's not. That's not. That that is no crack at all. I just have a very bad memory. I don't know. That's I I had multiple sounded, concussions from high school. Hockey. Sounded pretty intense. <laughs> Shots being fired. That's a, that's a threatening air horn. Th- intense. All right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and like I said, when we come back, we're gonna have trivia for you here on the WLCA Sports Show. Welcome back to the WLCA Sports Show here on eighty nine point nine. It's time for some trivia. Nathan, how you feeling? About as confident as ever, so not very confident. We also have station manager Mike Lemons on air now with us. Mike, how you doing? 
I'm good. How are you guys this morning? Doing all right. Had a pretty pretty solid show. Yeah, so it's a good show, good show. You know, it's 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 kind of a um, bittersweet day. College football starts this week, but not really, which is kind of a bummer. But normally, uh, you know, the sports show has me on to talk college football, and even though there's something to talk about, you know, it's it's not okay. the uh, okay. not the heavy hitty, not S- the heavy hitters. Slow down. So we're, we could talk the, about SMU versus Texas. State. Yeah, is there really anything interesting to talk about this week? Like. We were going to um, plan I, on having you back next week for it because we we're going to talk a little bit about you know actual you know legitimate college football games, but right. Hey, so, I have South to admit Alabama to you guys, Southern Miss. I watched that game. How sad is that? I watched the the UAB game before that as well, just because I needed <laughs> I needed the fix and you needed you know, something. Yeah, he needed something to get his adrenaline going. Well, <laughs> before we go ahead and go into trivia are going to talk about some headlines we were not able to get to this week. The Brooklyn Nets hired Steve Nash as their new head coach. And I think, you know, a lot of people talk. I saw a tweet about, you know, you wanted a big three in Brooklyn and and now you got it. Kind of an interesting uh, signing there for a head coach. Not only that, the Seattle Seahawks re-signed wide receiver Josh Gordon to a one-year deal. News this morning, the Houston Texans signed Deshaun Watson to a four-year, $160 million contract extension. A lot of people wondered what that would look like after Mahomes getting the signing that he did. So another um, interesting one there. And then also yesterday, Washington, the Washington football team released Adrian Peterson. So it'll be interesting to see where he kind of goes. Um, kind of heard some stuff about maybe New England potentially. So that would be interesting. A- Adrian Peterson and Cam running those, you know, tight Patriots offenses. Sounds great. It seems like something. I mean, when you say it seems like something that. Bill Belichick would do. It, I mean, it, you usually tend to have that wrong because it, it's unpredictable. But it'll be interesting to see how that kind of turns out. The Patriots will have the best offense of 2012. <laughs> My goodness. All right, well, it's time to get going on some trivia. Question number one, who was the last non-SEC team in college football to have an undefeated season? Was it Clemson, Florida State, Central Florida, or Ohio State? I believe Central Florida. Mike? Uh, say the choices again. Clemson, Florida State, Central Florida, or Ohio State? Clemson. All right, question number two. Steve Nash holds which NBA record most assists of all time, highest free throw percentage of all time, the lowest turnover percentage of all time, or the best field goal percentage in a single season? Mm. Can you do the choices once again? I'll go first on this one. Yeah, it's it's basketball, so my choices of getting it, my chances of getting it right are very slim. Very even with Nathan. Most assist, <laughs> most assists all time, highest free throw percentage of all time, the lowest turnover percentage of all time, or the best field goal percentage in a single season. I'm gonna say free throw percentage. I think turnovers, least turnovers. Okay. Question number three, who is the only one seed in NCAA basketball history to get upset in the first round? Louisville, Virginia, Kentucky, or Indiana? Am I going first? It, it's, it's, I, actually, it doesn't I think Virginia. Mike? You know, I, I had Virginia too, and I don't want to copy him, but I, th- I think it's Virginia. Question number four, who was the last MLB team to win the World Series by a sweep, was it the San Francisco Giants, the Kansas City Royals, the Boston Red Sox, or the Los Angeles Angels? They have the Red Sox. 
Uh, choices again? The San Francisco Giants, the Kansas City Royals, the Boston Red Sox, or the Los Angeles Angels? Yeah, it's the Red Sox. Question number five. How many NFL franchises have not won a Super Bowl? Six, eight, 11, or 12? Mike, you better not be looking those up. I hear that I hear six. that keyboard going on. No, it's six. It's it's a low number, I think. Six. Can you repeat the question again? How many NFL franchises have not won a Super Bowl? Six, eight, 11, or 12? This is Super Bowl era. I want to say 11. 11? All right. Well, that concludes trivia for this week. Before we go through the answers, what to look forward to in sports this week. The Cardinals have a doubleheader against the Chicago Cubs. In Chicago, starting at 415, hopefully they can have a little bit better luck this week. Along with that, the NFL returns this upcoming Thursday with Kansas City hosting the Houston Texans at 720 Thursday night. The NBA playoffs resume tonight with Game 3 of Raptors. Game 4, I'm sorry, Raptors-Celtics at 530. Game 7 of the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Islanders is tonight at 630. The winner will face the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then the Kentucky Derby is tonight at 6 o'clock. Those are the main things upcoming in sports tonight. It's time to see who will be crowned victorious for trivia for this week. First question, who was the non or the last non-SEC team in college football to have an undefeated season? Clemson, Florida State, Central Florida, or Ohio State? Nathan, you said Central Florida. Mike, you said Clemson, correct? Yes. All right, it was Clemson in 2018. They went 15 and... 15 and 0 defeating Alabama in the national championship 44 to 16. UCF was the year before. It'll be a little embarrassing not to get that right considering I'm the college football guy. Yeah, uh, that kind of as as soon as I was reading I was like, well, this one kind of favors in Mike's direction immediately. <laughs> I just remember the UCF one a lot because there was a big deal that they didn't actually get to right. go to the playoff. Right. But Clemson, you know, that was that was pretty recent and they had a pretty stellar year that year. Question number two was Steve Nash holds which NBA record most assists all time, highest free throw percentage all time, lowest turnover percentage, or best field goal percentage in a single season? Nathan, you said lowest turnover percentage? Yes. And then, Mike, you said the highest free throw percentage all time, correct? Complete guess, but yes. All right, well, that complete guess was correct. It is highest free throw percentage of all time at 90.4%. It's pretty darn impressive. So it's 2-0 right now. Mike Lemon's in the lead. Question number three, who is the only one seed in NCAA basketball history to get upset in the first round? Louisiana, Virginia, Kentucky, or Indiana? You both said Virginia. You both were correct. Virginia got upset in 2018 in the first round against UNBC, lost by 15. And then the next year, they turned it around and won the national, their first national championship. So, I mean... Good recovery. That's good bulletin board material, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> so three to one right now. Mike Lemon's leading. Question number four. Who was the last MLB team to win the World Series by sweep? The San Francisco Giants, the Kansas City Royals, the Boston Red Sox, or the Los Angeles Angels? You both said the Boston Red Sox, correct? Yes. Yeah. It was actually the San Francisco Giants. Did it in 2012 against the Detroit Tigers. Wow. I just remember them sweeping the Cardinals um, 04. in 04 because I was there for uh, game three. Oh, man, that's unfortunate. I hope you yeah. didn't spend a lot of money on that ticket. I didn't. I didn't. I think it was given to me, which is cool. But well, That kind of works out. Got to see a World Series game. Didn't go the way you wanted, but that's kind of cool. Wasn't, wasn't as good as I was, being at the final game in 06. That was pretty cool. 
Yeah, I imagine that would be kind of cool. <laughs> My goodness. And and I have a bone to pick with Nathan. Did he okay. take Go for a, it. Did he take a jab at my age by saying... I did not. Ethan made okay. it to be that I took a jab at your age. My job is to hype up this show as much as possible. I was to just be merely fair, saying it that did kind of sound like it. I was just saying that I merely have a bad memory compared to basically anyone because I had several concussions when I played high school hockey, so it just kind of... Fuzzy. I don't know. It sounds like an excuse. Hey, I was talking to a former host. Well, not talking... Why we're doing the trivia? I was returning an email to one of the former hosts, the other Nathan, <laughs> Nathan Piercy. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, host. I was yeah. like, I was thinking Nathan didn't host, but <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, all he's right. He's coming up to see us this week, by the oh, way. So sweet. Look at that. Yeah, he he was just on a couple weeks ago. I think he. he oh, was he? Yeah, I think he'll be on in the next couple of weeks again. And then, so right now, still three to one. Question number five, how many NFL franchises have not won a Super Bowl? Six, eight, 11, or 12? Mike, you said six. Nathan, you said 11, correct? Mm-hmm. You both were incorrect again. It's actually 12. So I win by the price is right rule. What, third <laughs> option? Is that close? I'm, close, I'm closest without going over. He should get it. He's closest without missing, yeah. Okay, we'll go three to one and I, a half. I, 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 need, <laughs> I need something here. We'll give you something. Well, that concludes trivia for this week. Mike Lemons, congratulations. The winner, the winner of this week's... Oh, we got sound effects. Yeah, adding those a little bit. But congratulations, Mike. I think that's... Is that... I think it's two in a row now. I think it's two. It's a lot in a row for me losing. Yes. That's a that's a streak we need to end. So are we... Uh, we're talking college football next week? Yes, we are. You looking Good. forward to it? Absolutely. Anytime to talk college football is a great time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the WLCA Sports Show this week. Mike, thanks again for joining us for Trivia. He will be back next week for all of you listening out there. From me, your host, Ethan Hannaford, and Nathan Tucker, thank you for tuning in here on College Radio's Best.